Lord, fill us up and send us out. Isn't, isn't that a great chorus? Does anybody love that as much as I do? Okay. Some of you do. Some of you are like, I guess you've got to sing it a couple more times to get it into your spirit about how great it is. But it's a, it's a great confession. Lord, fill us up and send us out. Um, I wanted to know if y'all knew that God was into coffee. Do you know God's into coffee? He brews. Ha, ha, ha. Okay. I got one more coffee joke, if that wasn't bad enough. The names of God? Jehovah Java. I mean, Jehovah Jara. Okay. Well, I thought it was kind of funny. Anyway, I don't even drink the stinking stuff, okay? I just want to be nice because I like, people love to have a cup of coffee in their hand. I, I love to smell the aroma of it. It's outstanding. Even last night, Don and I talked about, are we ever going to drink coffee? Nope. I mean, we try it every, every year or so just because we're adults and we can. We're legal. And, uh, and, and I just, we can't get there. Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews. Okay. Got to get off the coffee jokes. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about a book. This is uh, kind of an overview of this. So I won't get in probably a lot of your controversial passages, but it's uh, open your Bibles there to the book of Hebrews, and we'll be looking at selected passages today. We're doing a series this year called Unleashing the New Testament, one book at a time. In a few weeks, though, I am going to take about a four or five week break, maybe longer to do a series. I, I got to just tell you, I, I'm a series preacher. When you're in a series this long, you have to break every once in a while just to keep yourself fresh and keep you going. But we're getting good feedback about getting into the Word. It, it's always going to be Word-based, church. We are a Word-centric, Christ-exalting church. And the body of Christ said, amen. So as long as I always have God's Word, hey, we're okay. Well, this morning we're looking at Hebrews, and, and this particular book has much to say to our hearts. So let's try to get into this together and, uh, and look at this first one. Hebrews, uh, well, I got ahead of myself. That's okay. Hebrews eleven six. I want you to look right there at the top of your outline. Look at this with me. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly or diligently seek after him. You know, our God is not the God that hides. He's the God that reveals. He's the God that has come near in the person of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus. And God wants to speak to us this morning. As he spoke to the patriarch, patriarchs and the ancestors and, and the great prophets of the past, and then he comes in the sun. God wants to speak. And right there at the very top of your outline, you see in a few words or less, Jesus is better than any Old Testament person or sacrifice. See, they long for the appearing of the Messiah. The Old Testament heroes of the faith, the Old Testament people, they wanted a better way. They wanted a new covenant. They wanted their sins forgiven. And as I think about this, it's just awesome. And then Christ comes. And in Habakkuk 2.48, it says, And the just shall live by faith. Over in the book of Romans, you begin to see this whole theme there and other places the Apostle Paul writes about faith and the just shall live by faith. There's a great guy in um, theological history, his name's Martin Luther. And when he came to the realization that the just shall live by faith, he found new life. He had his sins forgiven. It's no different in 2011 when you and I come to the point that it's not about my religious devotion, it's not about my religious duty. It's not about all these other disciplines as important as spiritual disciplines are. It's about faith. And in Hebrews 11, I'll just speak there, but we'll come back. 
It's the great hallmark of faith. It's the great role of faith. And by faith, and by faith, and by faith, these men and women did phenomenal feats. But that's not changed today. Who's the author of this book? Well, there's a lot of theological discussion and debates and scholars over the years, but likely it's going to be Apollos is going to be the one that did this. Who's the recipients? Was the second generation of Jewish Christians who lived there in the Lycus Valley. And in that area, this letter comes and it brings encouragement and it stimulates the body of Christ. It's around 67 or 68, just before the fall of Jerusalem. This letter comes on scene and we have it in our Bibles. In chapter 1 through verse 8, you can just write this in the, I know a lot of you like to take notes, but in chapter 1 through 8, it talks about Jesus Christ is superior. He is the supreme one. He is superior to all others. He is superior to all other sacrifice. The Bible says once and for all he gave his life as a ransom for many. For once and for all he made perpetuation that we could be forgiven of our sins. For once and for all we don't have to go out and continue to sell this sacrificial means of getting to God. Even the priest could only go into the Holy of Holies like once a year. Can't imagine that kind of way of trying to connect with God. Yet Jesus comes here, he's much supremer, he's, he's more superior than the prophets, he's more superior than the angels. The book of Colossians talks about that. And then he's more superior than Moses. Now when you talk about Moses, you're talking about a holy man, you're talking about a great man of God. Scripture is very clear about how awesome and powerful Moses was. But yet Jesus is much superior. He's also more superior than Aaron, he's more superior than us. Aaron was head of the royal priesthood of God. He was a holy man in those days, and God's calling us to be no different. If you look at chapter 8, verse 7 through about 10, 18, you see now Jesus begins to speak into the life of the church and to our lives. He says, there's a new covenant, and this new covenant is superior to the old covenant. It's so much greater than the, the tabernacle of the past and all the things that we have to go through, a, an amazing teaching. Uh, i just get you to write in the reference there, Beth Moore has done a phenomenal teaching on the tabernacle, and a lot of you ladies have gone through that. It's not just for women, for, for men, but you ought to do that. But there's better promises. There's a better sanctuary. And yes, what I keep talking about today, there's a better sacrifice. There's a much better sacrifice. It's the sacrifice of Jesus. That sacrifice forgives sin. That sacrifice excuses us, gives us the remission, the forgiveness, the complete totality of forgiveness from sin. That when the blood of Christ cleanses us and washes over us, and is appointed unto us and covers us, our sins are wiped out. And that's great news, church. I mean, instead of trying to figure out, oh, can I earn my way to God? Can I earn my way to salvation? No. But let's look at the first point here to get it. Because you have a spiritual heritage, but what have you received? Maybe this morning you're sitting there, you go, I, I don't know about my spiritual heritage. I'm, I'm not even a believer. Somebody told me they'd buy me lunch, so I came. Okay, well, hey, that's cool. And somebody says, man, I got spiritual heritage. My great, 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 great granddaddy, he, he was a preacher. Man, that's awesome. Some of you say, man, hey, I'm the first generation Christian in my home. Man, that's awesome. Some of you say, man, I'm not even a Christian yet. I'm still trying to investigate what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Man, I want to say, hey, I'm glad you're here. But I want you to see this. God has spoken to us through, whoop, through time. He's spoken to us through time. He spoke to us through the patriarchs, through the ancestors, through the prophets themselves. But then, if you read here in Hebrews, I want you to look at Hebrews there with me this morning. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is awesome. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom all, so he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as his name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now, I don't know about you, man, that's, that's supreme. Man, it's like, okay, it's great that he spoke through these people of the past, and we needed the prophets, and we have half our Bible there because of the prophets. But now, God has spoken through the Son, the exact representation of his being, because he was God. And this morning, I was just thinking this week as I've been studying, do you want to hear him speak? Write that in your note somewhere. Do you want to hear God speak? God is still speaking. There's a passage in Samuel that says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And I've tried to make that a prayer of mine through the years. God, speak to me. God, speak to me. And I gotta, if I could be so transparent, there's times when I feel like God goes offline with me. And it gets really quiet. And I don't seem to hear very well. And then I really rely on the prophets and those of old and on Holy Scripture. And then God speaks. Maybe there's something that I need to do, or maybe there's a confession I need to make, or maybe there's just that God hasn't arranged things. Has anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody feel like God's gone offline, or you've gone offline with God? You just hold your hand up if you ever know what I'm talking about. The rest of you are lying. Sometimes he just gets quiet. I've been crying out to God about some things in my life, and here's what I'm hearing. But here's what I know. Do the last thing he told you to do. Just keep doing that. But when he gets ready to speak a new word, then follow him. Somebody came here to hear that word today because you're like, man, I just thought God was mad at me. God is unfailing love. He is not mad, man. He is in love with you. He was eager through the prophets. But, man, how much eager through the son to speak to us. This heritage here, I'm talking about you have a spiritual heritage today. Remember your leaders from generation to generation He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Jacob. He's the God of David. He's the God of Solomon. He's a your God. He, there's a spiritual heritage for all of us where the ultimate authority is placed in the person of Jesus Christ. I want to give this to you in Hebrews chapter 4. Just turn over there with me. Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 12 and 13. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Now, when I, when I look at that, I see the power of the word. I like what D.L. Moody said. Man, D.L. Moody was that great evangelist in Chicago that God had used, used to change the world in his lifetime. And here's what he said. He says, the scriptures were not given to increase our knowledge, but they were given to change our lives. That's why I'm so big on the word. The word changes you and me. The word, because he says in Hebrews, it's living, it's active. It breathes. It's a double-edged sword. It cuts coming and going. Has anybody been cut by the word lately? I have. If you're a person, a student of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, he wants to cut. He wants to do a new work. He wants to do surgery. I, I wrote down some things that it does. The word does not return empty, Isaiah 55, 11. Every time the word of the Lord goes forth, somebody has to make a decision. 
Somebody has to do something. I have to do something. When the word goes forth, I receive it, I honor it, I obey it, I reject it, I push it away. Listen, something else it does. It's like a fire. It's like a hammer, Jeremiah 23, 29. It's like a fire in my bones. And it smashes me. And it burns me. And it conforms me to the image of Christ. The third thing it does, it's spirit and life. John 6, 63. The word is spirit. The word is life. Man, that's why I want you so in love with the word. I want you to be word-centered. Uh, I want you to be word-focused, word-centric. And here's the other thing I want to say to it. It's living, Acts 7, 38. It's a living, dynamic word of God. This word is so powerful. And like, here's how I know how powerful it is. When we speak the word, God comes in force. He comes in power. When we speak the word, I think the heavenlies are shifted. When we speak the word, we get in a line with God. When we speak the word, supernatural things happen. How many believe that when you speak the word, when you pray the word, when you believe the word, when you are trusting God, when you're leaning on the word, and you're not leaning on your own understanding, but you're acknowledging God in all ways, and he's directing your paths, and you love his word, do you believe that God meets you and intersects at that point? He does. Some of you are saying, I don't know about this preacher. You're a preacher. You're paid to talk about how good God is. What's that got to do with it? I love God, and God's word works, and I want you to be in love with his word this morning. Because when you get in love with the word and the person and the God of the word, he begins to change your destiny and changes your life and transforms, and he gives you a heritage. Let's look at this next one here. Jesus is our high priest, and there he intercedes for us to the Father. Now, I like that. I've been talking about this priestly thing this morning. But he goes to the Father, and he intercedes, and he stands on our behalf. And I've always loved that from Hebrews about when you and I pray, we have one greater. We have an advocate. It's Jesus Christ. And listen to what it says, Hebrews chapter 4, verses uh, 4 through 16. It says here, therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Jesus Christ, we hold on to that. He, he, he makes a way for us. He's, he's the high priest. He's able to empathize with us in our weakness. It's one of the things I love about the character of God. He is high and holy and beyond my grasp and my understanding. He is holy God, but yet he has come near in the Son, the Lord Jesus. And yet, because he suffered and was tempted and was sinless and perfect and made sacrifice with his life, but yet he understands what you're going through. This morning, somebody needs to hear that. Somebody needs to know Jesus Christ knows exactly where you're at, and he's very concerned for you. But more than that, he's praying for you. Man, I tell you what, I find a lot of hope to know Christ. It's up to him. and He's praying, and he's interceding, and he's standing in the gap, in the gap and he, he bridges. Here, Christ bridges the Old and the New Testament. It's all for relationship that he wants us to have. So there's this earthly priest here. In, in the Old Testament, when you had the earthly priest, the earthly priest would go in and make sacrifice, but he couldn't take away sin. The earthly priest had limitations on him. He could only enter the Holy of Holies, as I said, once a year. And yet, now comes this high and holy relationship and a new authority that's much higher than even Moses and Aaron. It's Jesus. So we begin to see there about how great it is about this permanent priesthood. This priesthood will stand throughout the ages. It's an eternal foundation. It's a priesthood that makes a difference in our lives. And yet, some of us want to live like we're orphans. And maybe we are an orphan. Maybe we're far from God. We've not made God our Heavenly Father. 
And this morning, in this service today at the close, somebody could come near and you can meet Abba. You can meet the Father. He could become your heavenly God, your heavenly Father. And you become a, a daughter, a son of the King today. What an awesome thought. But some of you will choose to be an orphan and you'll stay out there being an orphan to the eternal kingdom of God. And you won't come near, and you have to come near through, the, through Christ. And, but, you know, you're feeling like, well, I feel rejected. I don't feel like I belong. I want to know, tell you this. Every one of you are accepted in the beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you will receive him, if you'll trust in him. You know, you know if you will receive what he's already demonstrated. If you'll act on that. But I want to get to this main part here. Look at this with me. It says that we've got a legacy here today that I want us to talk about. This legacy is powerful. You can be a person of faith and persevere. Now, will you be a person of faith? Do you want a legacy? I don't know about you, but we're living our lives, and, and we want legacies, and we, we want our lives to count. At least I do, and I hope you do. And, and when I'm dead and gone, and I'm, you know, I'm under or whatever, you know, I'll, I'll really think about this cremation thing, so I don't, I guess using that analogy doesn't work because I won't be like, dead and under six foot because like if they cremate me i might be on lake martin <laughs> just a thought okay but but here's the deal i'm gonna mess y'all up okay but i want to be a person of faith and i want to leave a legacy and when they speak about me i don't want them to talk about man he, he didn't have any hair and he spit a lot when he preached and he did it i mean i, I want i want a legacy that it was a a Christ at legacy. It was one that pointed people to the Savior. It was one that took people on a journey with Christ. It was one that helped people grow in their faith and their dependence on holy God. It was one that taught people how to pray and to get to know their God. But you become a person of faith. In Hebrews here, you begin to see this, uh, this beautiful thing here. He talks about our faith and about growing in him. And, and having, uh, I want to say this to you. We have an enemy to our faith. In John 10, 10, he talks about the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. But then he goes on, he says, but I've come that you might have abundant life. So we've got an enemy to our faith this morning. God wants us to be people of faith. He wants us to persevere in faith. In Hebrews, he talks about the great granddaddy of faith. And the granddaddy of faith would be Abraham. That's right. Don't be a man. Right answer. Awesome. And he wants us to. He wants us to persevere. He wants us to hang in there. He wants us to, to remain steadfast. He wants us to be single, devoted, that we endure this thing. We persevere, and our faith is great. We're leaving that legacy, man. I know when I'm around people of faith that have great faith, not some kind of little weak, wimpy faith. And, man, their faith, it just encourages me. Man, they believe God in his word. They believe that God's a God of miracles. They believe that God can resurrect the dead. They believe that God can resurrect dead marriages. They believe that God can do anything. How many of you today believe that God can do anything that he wants to do? But we live like Christian atheists, says Craig Rochelle. Oh, I believe in God. Here's one. And, and, and I'm not even going to preach on stewardship, but I just want to give you a thing. Some of you go, oh, oh, pastor, I love God. I believe God. I trust God for my finances. Child, what? I ain't going to give God my money. Mm. You, have to get, you, you say, man, you don't really trust God then. You trust him on what you can do. Oh, I don't trust God for that. How many, don't raise your hand. How many of you, though, just in your spirit, I don't want to embarrass anybody, some of you here are praying for a mate. Now, if you're married, you better not raise your hand. But, uh, hey, and you're, and you're believing God for something, and you're trusting God for your future, and you believe that God has got a young man or a young woman, or maybe you're older, an old man or old woman out there for you, and the church said, I believe. 
So let's all come forward and have prayer for you now. But I do, I'm making fun, but I do believe. I believe that God's got a great eternal destiny for all of us when we follow Christ. And, and some of you are like, well, I, I just don't believe yet. Let, let's look at this next one. Develop a passionate desire for God. Hebrews just fires me up, man. They're, they're faithful people. They love God. Hebrews 11, other passages, they believe God, they trust God, they see God work. And by faith, he did this. And by faith, he did this. And by faith, she believed that. And by faith, and by faith. It hadn't changed in 2011. By faith. By faith, I trust God. What is faith? Forsaking all, I trust him. Lord, I'm not going to trust in my ability anymore. God, I, I got to trust you. I, I believe you. In Hebrews 11, 1, 6, and 39 through 40, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now listen to that. Faith is certain of what we hope, what we believe for, but we don't see it. I am longing for an eternal kingdom that I've never seen with my physical eyes, but it is more real than a spit I spit. And you're going, man, it must be real. I already had one guy today, he says, man, when you preach, I see bubbles fly across the room. And if one hits you, it's anointed. Okay, here we go, here we go. But without faith, Hebrews says it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what he had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Here's just what I want to ask you. Do you long to connect with God? Do you just want to connect with him on a daily basis? Do you want to crave him? Hebrews chapter 2, turn over there with me, verses 1 through 4. We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. We're in the season of boating. If you know anything, I, I grew up on the lake. I, I love boats. I love the water. I love watercraft. Except when they all blow up and they're like throwing money in the lake. But, okay, another sermon for another day. But when you get on the lake and you don't have an anchor, you begin to what? You drift. And, you know, you, you go to the beach. You go to the beach on vacation. You're down there in the water. And like, you're sitting here, and here's your family right here. I mean, you're looking at them, and they're looking good, okay? And man, you're somewhere, you're somewhere down here. And by the time you turn around, you look, you're like, my family's left me. Well, you think the, you think the rapture's happened. You think they left. You, you, you don't know, you're confused. Has anybody ever been there? I mean, it's something about the sun and all that kind of stuff. Okay, and then, and then but if, if you get you a, a fixed point, and then you, 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 you come back. And some of us just drift. In and out of this life, we drift spiritually. He says, man, be careful. Know what you've heard. Know what you believe. Don't drift spiritually. I, I don't know. We're in the summer. A lot of times people drift in the summer, man. They just kind of get out of their spiritual disciplines, and they're not really reading the Word like they were. They're not attending. They're not participating. They're just in trouble. And I think, man, God, we've got to take inventory. How do you, how do you prevent drifting? You make Christ a central focus. You make Christ that, that beach chair, that umbrella. And you just orientate around him. You go, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I don't want to drift. I, there's nothing beautiful about spiritual drifters. It's fun to watch people start off with Christ, but if they don't get anchored in Christ, they drift. And some have even fallen away. Look at the third point here with me. Have an ever-increasing hope in Christ. Is it ever-growing, ever-knowing, ever-increasing? It abounds, it flows, it builds. Is your hope in Christ growing today? 
Is it greater than it was last summer? Eh, about the same. A little bit less. Well, then ask yourself, why? I mean, in, in Hebrews 10.23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. If I don't know anything else, I know my Heavenly Father is faithful to me. I know my God cares for me. I know God loves me. I know he's working all things for my good. Is he working for your good this morning? Do you believe God is faithful? Have you tracked his past faithfulness about how good God's been? He's a faithful God. I'm not so faithful. Sometimes I blow it and I take my eyes off and I drift. And, and yet God says, have an increasing hope. Let me, let me give you this one. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Stay encouraged. I mean, that's almost like a religious cliche. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. It's a great hymn. But fix your eyes on Christ, the author and the perfecter, the pioneer of our faith. We, we begin to realize that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, but we, we go for it. I, I, I got an illustration about that. How, how many of you love animals? You love dogs. How many of you love dogs? Okay, that's, that's cool. I'm not going to ask you if you like them, but okay, so you, you like them. Uh, I am curious about this. How many of you are pretty good about training your dog in obedience or you've taken them to dog obedience school? Okay, put your hands up if your dog's clueless, okay? Yeah, the kind of an overwhelming majority of you. It, it, it was really funny to watch y'all's hands. Everybody, how many got a dog like that? You know, y'all doing this. How many of your dog obeys? About four of you, raise your hand. Uh, somebody can make a lot of money, you know, if, if they had the patience and the skill. When dog obedience training, they, they put a dog at the end of the room and say the master stands on the other end and... Uh, He's trying to do his thing. Now, what they do is they, they, they put a plate right in the middle of the room. And it's not an empty plate. I mean, this plate's like, like steak or filet or maybe just dog food. I don't know. Maybe it's a hard economy. Maybe it's just some gross dog food, okay, out of a can. But they put it right there in the center. And, you know, and so then the master is on the other end of the room, and there's an obstacle there in the middle. There's a plate of food, and then the dog's on the other end. And the master calls out to the dog. Now, you know, you, know, you call your dog, you know, if you... If it's a pretty good dog, they'll usually come to you. But, but what happens here? If this dog, if this dog ever, if it, if, it, if, it, if it stayed looking up to its master, if it fixes its eyes on its master, it's okay. But if the dog ever drops the perspective and sees the food, you can forget the dog. The dog ain't coming to you. The dog's going for the food. And you're like, that's what's wrong with my dog. We're going to have a spiritual lesson this afternoon. We're having Sunday school with my dog, you know. Some of you need to have Sunday school with your pets this day. Okay, but here, here I, want you to, I want you to remember the spiritual thing. I'm trying to tell you, when you fix your eyes upon Jesus and you stay refreshed and you stay encouraged and you focus on him and you follow Christ, then when all the distractions to the left and all the distractions to the right come, but you're fixed on Jesus, you end up reaching your destination. But you know what? Some of us, man, we're so distracted. I'm going to tell you, this life is full of distractions, isn't it? Matter of fact, let's just do something kind of fun this morning. I'm, this is going to be participatory. Oh, boy, that's a lot of peas. Did you get wet? I'm sorry. I even saw that. I wet myself on that and went participatory. <laughs> okay. You try to say participatory, okay? Here's another one, Mephibosheth. You know, I just love these Bible names. Okay, here we go. All right. I had a point. Here we go. Name, I remember. Thank you, sweetheart. She's my focus. I want to know what distracts you 
from spiritual progress. In this section here, just speak out something in your loud voice. Being busy. Okay. Anybody on the back? Sports. School. Okay, that's enough. All right. This section, what distracts you? Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa, whoa. Excuse me? Family. Okay, what else? Work. What did you say? Facebook. Whoa. What did you say? Did you say hunting? Okay, hunting. Okay, yeah, that's good. Y'all convicted. Let's go here. This section. What? Excuse me? I got medicine for that. No, video games. Okay. What else? Housework distracts you? Okay. Who? Who else? Work. Man, all right. All right, let's go to this last section. Give me something good. Life. Okay. Pride. Y'all need to get together. Y'all say the same thing at the same time. Okay. What else? Excuse me? That girl done gone to meddling. Food. You talking about my distraction or yours? Oh, oh, food. Okay. What, what else? All right. See, all kind of things distract us, don't they? You know what's amazing about that? We didn't have any shortage of answers. Man, y'all just started throwing out stuff like, man, you know, I need to fix my eyes on Jesus, but I'm discouraged by pride or I'm undistracted or I'm distracted by work or I'm distracted by this or that. Here, you know, uh, just all kind of things that distract us. We get preoccupied. That's what I, I got to think about when I was reading Hebrews. We get preoccupied with family, sickness. You know you can get preoccupied and distracted with your own sickness, with your own family, with your own work, with your own situation. You can get distracted with other people. But I want you to hear this. You can also get distracted with yourself. Oh, it's all about me. Oh, poor pitiful me. I'm pow, pow. Man, man, nobody wants to come to that party. Ain't nobody coming. Just hang it up. This ain't even the message, but I'm going to give it to you. Sometimes, uh, has a pity party. And nobody shows up. But I don't blame you. I don't even want to be there, but I'm in, I'm in this earth suit, so i got to attend. And it gets me nowhere. But when I can somehow decide that I've lost hope, but then I will then begin to turn my mind back toward Christ and reflect on the excellent name of Jesus Christ, and I focus on him, I get encouraged, I get refreshed, I begin to make progress again. But as soon as I start lowering like that dog, here we go, here's that dumb dog again. I don't write me letters, I like dogs. Okay, you lower it. I get in trouble. Does that preach? Okay, some of you are like, man, I got an application today. If you can't figure out the application with that, I can't put the cookies on any lower shelf, okay? You like that, do you? You didn't like my opening jokes, but you laugh about that one, okay? That just came off the cuff. See, if I ever talk about Hebrews again, I, 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 I hurt my feelings. Let me have a pity party for just a moment. I don't care. I'm confident in Christ. Here we go. John, we have guests in the house today. Y'all be nice, okay? We want them to come back. John 5.30. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. John 5.30. Jesus Christ. What does he choose to do? He chooses to please the Father and to do what the Father has told him to do. If you and I will get that focus and fix our eyes upon Jesus and do what he tells us to do, man, we're at a good place.
doing the Father's will. Look at the fifth one. Here it is. Now, this is a hard one. Endure discipline as a spiritual benefit. Now, i got to tell you something. There ain't nothing I like about the word discipline. Makes me want to stutter. Ain't nothing good about discipline, is it? It is everything good about discipline. And discipline is needed. When we discipline our body, when we buffet our body, when we diet, when we do the right things, we have a physical benefit. When we discipline ourselves spiritually, there's spiritual. Or, or you discipline yourself academically, there's academic benefit. But when we discipline ourselves, when discipline comes in our life, it, it's a good thing. And there in Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to turn over there, tra- chapter 12 of Hebrews, starting in verse 7 through 11. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all have had human fathers who disciplined us and, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Circle the word painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. When we begin to embrace the discipline of the Lord, there's blessing. There's a conforming our will to his will. We become like him. In Revelation 31.9, it says, those he loves, he disciplines. Those that the Father loves, he disciplines. So when you're being disciplined, it could be a a great work of God. Job 5.17, blessed is the man God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. I want you to write somewhere on your notes today, don't despise discipline. Divine discipline is good that God might do a greater work to prove his character in your life that you might be more fruitful for the Master. So this, this thing is God is fundamental to being a believer. Um, let me give you one more. I, I, give, I gotta give this to parents. Turn over to Proverbs, parents. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. He who spares the rod hates his own son, but who but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Now I know some of you today want to debate me about discipline and all that, but really I ain't gonna debate it because it's already in the word. We, we have found great benefit when the kids were young that you would discipline them, and, and, and that changed their behavior. It, it, it helped shape their character. I, how, how many of you got spanked when you were little? Raise your hands. Did it hurt you? Heck yeah, it hurt physically. Was it good for you? Yeah, you probably wouldn't be in this room had you not been disciplined, okay? Discipline's okay. And right before whack, there's this school that we all get, but we never go there. Right before you get a little spanking or something, every parent under the face of the sun has a line. What is it? <laughs> Y'all had my parents too? Isn't that amazing? It hurts me more than it does you. Well, here, let me, let me try one on you one time. Die. Discipline hurts. But it's for our good. It's for our character building. It's for God to do something greater in us. And, and then I, I got to share this with you because I got I to hurry. Here, I got, I got this new toy. Y'all probably figured out. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm trying. Well, anyway, uh, hey, could, could you find it? There, there's a quote that's going to come up by Vance Abner. Because I, I, I just thought it, 
Okay, well, maybe I made it up. Here it is. I, I got it in my notes. We are not at home in this world because we are made for a better one. And all through Hebrews, it begins to talk about looking forward to a heavenly city, turning our eyes upon Jesus, looking for that eternal foundation of heaven. Even Abraham obeyed. And the Bible says that Abraham longed for another home. He wasn't longing for this world. He was longing for his heavenly city. Every time that I sit with uh, somebody that's on their deathbed or they're dying, you, you can you can just sense there's this longing of their soul. There's this longing of their body that's given out. They want to be home. And this morning, the big thought is, will you launch a legacy of faith? Will you launch a legacy this morning that will matter eternally? I don't know. For me and you, I think it's uh, our spiritual heritage is great. But God wants us to have a legacy that matters. And it has an impact for the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, it's so good to be in your house. And uh, Lord, I pray that we'll be faithful like the prophets of old. Because the sun has come and the sun speaks to us clearly today. Lord, speak to our hearts and change us, oh God. Give us a new fresh love for Christ this morning. Draw us to the throne that we might boldly talk to you. God, build us. Renew us. Make us new today, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful book. May you do a new work in us until you come again. In Christ's name, amen. I invite you to stand as we sing this closing song together.
different ending wasn't at church we did that for a reason I wanted to take you back to the roots of our Christian faith and to tradition and to our heritage and as rich as it is and that we would always build upon that and go forward with a legacy for Christ I love that little bridge part at the end Jeff you just wrote that last night didn't you the end of it this morning man can you put your hands together and thank God for an anointed worship leader yeah it just I appreciate that well, man, let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Lord God, it is so good to be in your house with friends and family and with guests. And God, we open our hearts and we say, Lord Jesus, work in us. Be glorified in us. I pray that you have filled us up. Now send us out until we come together again. In the name of Jesus. Amen. try